Something to note, all myths have many versions and variations. For this episode, we've selected those we felt are the most dramatic and entertaining and supplemented them with additional research into Mesoamerican traditions. Because mythology comes from oral tradition, there's a wide variety across sources. Our myths may not always be the version you're familiar with, but we hope you'll enjoy them. A warning, this episode features dramatizations and discussions of human sacrifice and gore. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. The old grizzled priest chanted softly, His eyes, surrounded by leathery skin and deep layers of wrinkles, were shut tight. He knelt inside an immense stone temple. The carved faces of serpents and jaguars stared at him from the walls. Their mouths hung open in an eternal scream. The priest slowly opened his eyes to stare down at a young man on the altar before him. He was weeping, his wild eyes staring up at the priest in panic as he thrashed violently, trying to free himself. But his limbs were held in place by four acolytes surrounding the altar. There was no escape. Looking on was the great emperor, Motekusoma. He loomed large and fierce in an immense golden headdress. With his somber expression and chiseled cheekbones, he was almost as regal as the stone gods that lined the temple walls. His gold sandals tapped impatiently on the stone beneath them. His eyes lit up when the priest removed a long dagger from beside the altar. The captive struggled harder at the sight of the blade. Sweat poured from his brow. Though he cried out in fear, his hoarse voice lacked vigor. He'd no doubt already spent hours screaming. His cries pulled Motekusoma's attention from the knife, and as he looked upon the captive, he turned cold. You fight so fiercely against such an honor. You have been deemed worthy of Huitzilopochtli. Did your people not teach you what that means? But still the man thrashed. Motekusoma's frown deepened. This man was a foreign captive and did not know their ways, but it did not make this ritual any less powerful. There was no greater gift to the gods than the potency of human life. Their land had been thirsty for years, and each sacrifice brought relief closer. Motekusoma nodded to the priest, and the old man swiftly brought the blade down, sinking it deep into the man's bare chest with a hair-raising squish. The victim's cries were cut off in shock, though his body still squirmed relentlessly. The men around him held down his limbs, their muscles flexed with the effort. Then they began to chant. Their voices rose with the priest's. The priest dragged the knife downwards, cutting a jagged line in the man's chest. He grunted as he yanked the knife, slicing through flesh and bone. Finally, the young man stopped thrashing. His body fell limp. Motekusoma's body tensed with anticipation. It was not gore he sought. The knife was merely a tool to unwrap a gift for Huitzilopochtli, and it was an effective one at that. The priest finally dug a hand into the man's open chest and ripped out his heart. 
he raised it up into the air, and Motekusoma closed his eyes to pray. Huitzilopochtli, your mother has left us to rot in the sun. Please persuade her to return to us. To me. Bring in the next. Welcome to Mythology, a ParCast original. Every Tuesday, we present dramatic stories from ancient mythology and explore their origins. I'm your host and narrator, Vanessa Richardson. You can find all episodes of Mythology and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Mythology for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Mythology in the search bar. Today, we're exploring the legendary rule of the Aztec emperor, Motekuzoma I. Motekuzoma led the militaristic and wealthy empire at the height of its expansion, conquering foreign lands and reaping the riches that followed. As a ruler, he was known for looking forward and championing progress, but it was his quest to unearth the past that imposed a grave threat to the very civilization that he had so tirelessly built. Up next, we'll meet an emperor who exists in both history and myth. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new Moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money Maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than 88 million in prizes, ranging from 50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. There's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts. Motekusoma I was a real historical figure. He ruled over the Mexica people and the Aztec Empire from 1440 until his death in 1468. The early days of his leadership were marked with famine, floods, and droughts. However, his eagerness for militarism slowly allowed his people to regain their footing in the world. He united neighboring tribes, including his own, with a violent expansion that encompassed today's Mexico and Central America. In creating his empire, he raised the Mexica people from almost starving to their height of power, with a wealthy aristocracy that made their home in the city of Tenochtitlan in present-day Mexico City. Accounts of Motecusoma's reign are surrounded by supernatural lore, 
going all the way back to the story of his unusual birth. According to legend, his father, Huitziliwitl, was brutally rejected by the princess Miawashiwitl's father when he asked for her hand in marriage. But stubbornly, Huitziliwitl refused to be spurned. In retaliation, he adorned an arrow with a magical green stone. He fired this arrow into Miawashiwitl's palace. Miawashiwitl intercepted the arrow and placed the green stone in her mouth, an act which impregnated her with the future ruler, Motekusoma. With his mystical origins and ruthless prowess on the battlefield, Motekusoma was easily embraced by the Mexica people as a formidable ruler. But there was one thing that eluded him, the mysterious homeland of their Aztec ancestors, Aztlan. The myth surrounding this sacred land tells of a god named Huitzilopochtli, who guided its ancient people to leave their hallowed home and settle elsewhere. Aztlan housed seven caves called Chico Moztoc, and each of these caves corresponded to a different tribe. One of these tribes settled in the Valley of Mexico and eventually became known as the Mexica people. Though the legend of Aztlan has been compared to the lost city of Atlantis, there is much more real-life evidence that supports its existence. Scholars can track Aztec migrations through books and records left by the Aztecs and in tales recorded by their Spanish colonizers. While it's clear that the Aztecs, or Mexica, settled in this region by the 1300s, some archaeologists think they may have migrated even earlier. Hundreds of years later, the Mexica were still fascinated by this idea of a lost homeland. An old woman trudged through the hot, sun-baked desert. Her long, graying hair blew about her shoulders as a light breeze picked up. Her bare breasts hung loose and sunken on her chest. At her waist, she wore a skirt of dead snakes, limply swaying around her legs as she slowly made her way across the sand. She was walking toward a large, lush mountain looming in the distance. Birds flew over its peak and trees covered its steep sides. An immense lake surrounded it like a moat. It glistened, appearing to glow against the blinding sun. It was not hard to see this place was special. Music began to emanate from the mountain as the old woman grew closer, and soon she began to glow. She stood up straight, each step giving her more and more strength. She slowly turned back around to face the way she'd come. Her sad, wrinkled face streamed with tears as she raised her arms up into the air. And then she opened her mouth to scream. Motekusoma shot up in his lavish bed, breathing heavily. His heart raced as he threw aside his covers, disturbing the two concubines who shared his bed. They groggily raised their heads as he bellowed, Flakaela, to my room, now. A few moments later, Tlakaela, Motekusoma's advisor and half-brother, strode into the room. His dampened brow showed evidence he'd been running, but his smooth steps concealed his haste. He bowed to his king. I know where she is. My lord? The goddess! Finally, she shows her decrepit face. 
My lord, I would not call the mother goddess decrepit. It is she who abandoned me. All I have done, all I have built, and she gives us a drought? But you say you know now where she is? Motekusoma's eyes flashed as he recalled his dream. That had been no ordinary mountain. Though he'd never been there, he had known it immediately. It was their homeland, the place that housed the seven caves of Chico Mostok. It was a place he had yearned to find for as long as he could remember. She is in Astlan. Hours later, Motekusoma stood at the window in his throne room. From his perch, he looked out at the sprawling city of Tenochtitlan, his brow furrowed at the familiar sight of his people gathered outside the palace. Their bodies were thin and malnourished, their lips dry and peeling. They did not push or yell in protest, for they did not have the energy. Instead, they stood silently, waiting for their emperor to change their fortune. If this drought went on for much longer, he wouldn't have much of an empire left to rule. Tlacaela interrupted his musings with a light cough. Motekusoma strode over to his throne and propped his gold-sandaled feet up on a gilded chair. This was how he liked to think. Tlacaela hovered beside the throne, shifting uncomfortably as he waited with barely concealed impatience for his emperor to finish his reflections. Motekusoma looked up at the sculpture of Kotliku, the Mother Earth, that adorned his throne room. The stone figure showed an old woman with long hair and a skirt of snakes. He sighed as he stared at her blank stone eyes. She'd always felt distant to him. Perhaps it was because her son, Huitzilopochtli, showed them more favor, for it was he who guided them on the battlefield and won them victory. It had been five long years of a drought, and despite many sacrifices in both their names over the last few years, it was clear that Kotlikyu had left the Mexica to starve. But she had appeared to him now, and he could not understand why. Flakaela, what do you know of Aslan? Just that no one alive has seen it. I am... Unsure if it truly exists. It does. On a steep hill in the middle of a lake full of caves and wildlife. But it is the floating gardens that I dream of, full of food and flowers. I cursed this drought, cursed the goddess for abandoning us. <laughs> but it was all to lead us to our true home. But do you not think that Kotliku might have been saying something else? Perhaps she is warning us to stay away, that she has gone somewhere no one will find her, that she wants to be rid of us. No, no, Tlakaela. It is all that is left. I have conquered all that the eye can see. I have been moving forward for so long. It is time that I look back. Motekusoma jumped to his feet and grabbed a ceremonial spear from the wall. He jabbed it towards Tlakaela, who simply raised an eyebrow. Pretend you are the goddess, and I appear, demanding to be taken to Aslan. No, no, wait. I will reenact the dream for you. Here. Motekusoma waved his spear as he recounted the tale once again. 
As he spoke, his pulse quickened. Conquering fulfilled him greatly, but he had always felt that expansion of his empire was simply a way for him to fill the void of the only campaign he had truly ever desired. But even as exhilaration filled him, his mind turned once again to the starving people standing guard outside his walls. They would not wait forever. He needed to find Aztlan. Coming up, Motekusoma attempts to find Aztlan with nothing to go off of but a dream. Now, back to the story. The great Mexica Empire was plagued by drought. It seemed the goddess of the earth, Kotlikyu, had abandoned them. But years into the drought, Kotlikyu visited Emperor Motekusoma in a dream where she was seen standing before the Mexica's legendary homeland of Aztlan, a place he had always longed to find. Motekusoma ordered his advisor and half-brother, Tlacaela, to round up the best of his men to compose a search party for Aztlan. Warriors from all over the Mesoamerican Empire, the party would be laden with carts of food, animals, and golden trinkets for the goddess once they found her. These gifts would surely appease her enough to end the drought and bring back the rains. And then a messenger would return to bring their great emperor, Motekusoma, to the ancestral home of Aztlan. But as they gathered in the throne room, Motekusoma caught sight of Tlacaela's uneasy face. His mood darkened immediately. What is it now? My lord. We do not know where they should begin the search. Is it not best to wait and see if Kotlikyu visits you again with more information? We may share the same father, but magic blood runs through my veins. That is why it is I who am in this chair and not you. She will show them the way. You would do well to not rest on the glory of your origins, my lord. I do not need to. I am the face of an empire. Yet you speak to the man whose council built it. Tlacaela paled, and he quickly stepped back at the sight of Motekusoma's face. It had turned red with fury. Tlacaela dared claim credit for his victories. It was not only a lie, it was an infuriating overstep. You are fortunate that we share blood. But that only goes so far, brother. Remember that next time you counsel. Now, make yourself useful and fetch me my warriors. The months passed slowly, and without any sign of the warriors, each day Motekusoma became more anxious. He worried that Tlacaela had been right, though he would never admit it. Just imagining the smug look on his half-brother's face caused him a flash of anger. Tlacaela's insinuation that he built Motekusoma's empire still made his blood boil. Until finally, the warriors returned. But of the large contingent that had set out on the expedition for Aztlan, only three weary stragglers remained. Motekusoma sat on his throne, staring in ill-concealed shock at the pitiful warriors that knelt before him. 
he barely recognized them. The valiant soldiers who had left his palace were strong and fearless. But these men, these men's clothes hung loose and in tatters. The whites of their eyes shone brightly against their dirty faces. Motekusoma found himself looking away from their gaze. They looked so haunted. Tlakaela stood silently behind his emperor as one of the warriors rose unsteadily to his feet. We did not know where to go, my lord. We wandered around the jungle for months. Wild animals feasted on our brothers. They were ripped apart. But the goddess called to you, did she not? You must have seen something. The warrior's comrade nudged him. His expression was still full of fear, but it also held a warning. The message was clear. Be careful what you say next. The warrior looked down at his hands. You may speak. We saw no sign of the goddess. Nothing that led us toward anything but death. We did not want to return with nothing to offer. Motekusoma sighed. So Tlakayela had been right. He avoided his half-brother's gaze as he dismissed the warriors. My lord, perhaps it would be better to turn your focus to the matter at hand. We need water. We lose time pursuing Atzland. Why not go further north? If we send enough men, we could... Motekusoma had enough of Tlakayela's musings. He suddenly stood and strode from the throne room. He needed to think. Moments later, Motekusoma found himself walking up the steep steps that led to Templo Mayor. As he ascended, he passed clusters of his subjects. He held his head high, avoiding their wide eyes and starved bodies. But he was stopped as a young girl stumbled into his path. She reached a feeble arm out to him, her stringy hair obscuring half her face. Her shaking hand was held palm up, begging for food, water, anything. But Motekusoma looked away. He kept his gaze locked on his golden sandals, watching them bend as he stepped around her and proceeded up the stone steps toward the waiting temple. His heart thundered in his chest as he tried to ignore the suffering that filled his city. Praying would ease his mind and perhaps give him a sign to guide him to Kotlikyu and Aztlan. Motekusoma knelt before a sculpture of the great god Huitzilopochtli. He was Kotlikyu's son, the most powerful god of the Mexica. Surely he would have some answers. Tell me what to do, great lord. I aim to please you, so tell me how. What is it you want me to do? I gifted you animals, goods, human lives. I conquered lands in your name. What more do you want? I have conquered every land I laid eyes on, slaughtered every ruler who stood in my way, and still you do not think me worthy to find Aslan. Magic flows through my veins. If any ruler could end this drought and find our lost homeland, it should be me. Then why not answer magic with magic? Motekusoma turned to see Tlakaela darkening the doorway of the temple. As his words sunk in, Motekusoma's eyes lit up. 
he knew just what to do. Motekusoma tasked Tlakaela once again with rounding up men, but these would not be warriors. They would be sorcerers. Motekusoma's military might had given birth to an empire, but it was time for another approach. Where soldiers had failed, wise men in touch with the spiritual world would surely prevail. Sixty sorcerers from around the land were gathered at Tenochtitlan before the great Motekusoma. He swelled with pride at the sight of all of their wise faces. Then he nodded to his guards, who disappeared from the throne room. Motekusoma's men returned with carts and crates laden with riches. Gold and shining stones glistened brightly. Feathers and cotton, food and other goods, the very best the royal storehouses could offer, more than enough to please Kotlikyu when they found her. But the sorcerers simply stared at the goods, unmoving. Motekusoma frowned and looked to Tlakaela for help, but he seemed equally perplexed. Wise men, surely this is enough? It is all that we have. Maybe they are waiting for something, a sign from Kotlikyu. Can you not speak? Motekusoma and Tlakaela were met with silence. Motekusoma fidgeted. His mouth felt as dry as the desert outside. He did not like feeling unsure, and right now, that was all he felt. Finally, one of the sorcerers stepped forward. Motekusoma relaxed. Finally, he would hear their plan. But instead of speaking, the sorcerer raised a hand and pointed to the great Motekusoma. And as he did so, sunlight streamed into the throne room, glinting off of Motekusoma's golden sandals. What does it mean? I think they want you to go with them. It does make sense, my lord, if you want something done right. Perhaps I should do it myself. Motekusoma slowly rose from his throne and stepped towards the sorcerers. Motekusoma did not know how he had not considered it before. He was so used to giving orders, to directing armies from afar. The thought of going on this journey filled him with fear, but also with a sense of purpose. He would be the first to step foot in Aztlan since the Aztecs had left it all those centuries ago. He smiled as he approached the sorcerers. They joined their hands with his, and soon all sixty of them were linked, an immense chain of wise men. The two ends of the chain walked slowly toward each other and joined to make a circle. They knelt to the ground together, as if they were all one body. And then the sunlight that had burst into the throne room moments before began to move. It slowly gathered into a bright, undulating orb before floating to the center of the circle. There it shone brightly, pulsing rhythmically. The sorcerers around Motekusoma began to hum, softly at first, but then progressively louder and louder. The light grew abruptly, overpowering everything in the throne room. When Motekusoma opened his eyes, he gasped. He was on the ceiling of the throne room, looking down at a shocked Tlakaela. Surrounding him, sixty birds flew about the ceiling, screaming and swooping. 
He took in his own gold-tipped wings and sharp talons in awe. He had become a bird. One by one, the sorcerer birds flew out of the throne room. Motekusoma looked down again at Tlakaela, and an idea popped into his head. He dove towards his half-brother with a shriek. Motekusoma flew alarmingly close to Tlakaela's head, screeching loudly in his ear. Tlakaela ducked in panic, but Motekusoma swerved out of the way just in time, before he too flew out the window after the sorcerers. As he flew upwards into the sky beyond, he chuckled to himself. He hoped that Tlakaela had gotten his message. His kingdom had better still be there when he returned. Motekusoma begins his true quest for his elusive homeland after this. Now back to the story. Emperor Motekusoma soared through the air in the form of a bird. In front of him flew 60 similar animals, the flock of sorcerers he had assembled for the journey. After dreaming of the lost homeland of Astlan for all of his life, he was finally on his way there, with a contingent of the land's wisest men. He'd been wrong to first send his warriors on a doomed expedition to find Astlan, but he was not sorry that he had. Their failure made him realize that he could not sit idly by. This should have been plain to him ever since the goddess Kotlikyu first taunted him in his dream. But alas, some are slower to learn than others, even emperors. His bird form seamlessly dipped below clouds and caught wind currents that pushed him higher into the air. Up here, he was not a ruler in charge of a kingdom or an Aztec in need of homeland. Up here, all he had to do was fly. He let out a joyous chirp and swooped over to watch the cracked earth far beneath him. He was soon surprised when the ground below was disrupted by a series of dilapidated pyramid structures that seemed to glow in the sunlight. The buildings looked celestial and vibrant despite their decaying facade. The sorcerers before him began to drop down toward the pyramid city below. They fell in a wave, swooping with confidence. Stop! Where are you going? Motekusoma blinked. They could not be at Aztlan already. They were not even out of the valley yet. Nevertheless, he followed the wise men down below the clouds and toward the crumbling pyramids. As soon as his talons touched the earth, he transformed back into a man. Golden sandals and all, a shiver passed through his body. It was a strange sensation. Looking around, he saw the 60 sorcerers, now in human form, slowly heading up the steep steps of one of the pyramids and disappearing into the temple at its peak. Motekusoma was growing frustrated. This couldn't be Aztlan. There were no floating gardens, no gleaming lake. He would need to speak to these clearly misguided wise men and set them back on course. Motekusoma entered the temple to see the 60 sorcerers kneeling before a serpentine-like sculpture. Half of the stone had been broken off, leaving a single fang in its open maw. Everything was very quiet. 
Motekusomo waited for the sorcerers to finish praying, but he quickly grew impatient. What are we doing here? Speak! I am your emperor, and you must tell me, why are we here? Motekusoma felt the slight breeze of something passing behind him. He whipped around startled, but there was nothing there. He turned back to the sorcerers. If they had noticed anything amiss, they did not let on. Undisturbed, they continued praying. Out of the corner of his eye, he caught sight of a figure moving through the shadows on the other side of the temple. Motekusoma tensed and stepped forward, but could see nothing in the darkness between the disintegrating sculptures. The hair on his arms stood up as fear clenched his stomach. Men, protect your emperor! Men! But still no one moved. He felt something move by him again, this time far closer. Slowly, he knelt down and picked up a chunk of rock. It was a fang, broken off from the snake god that the sorcerers prayed before. Motekusoma gripped the stone tightly and held it up, ready to face whatever evil lurked in this tomb. He was foolish to have left all his warriors at Tenochtitlan. Once again, he turned, but this time he was not greeted with shadows, but the ghost of the plumed serpent, the snake god, Quetzalcoatl. The specter was silent. It merely looked at him with disdain before slithering back into the shadows. One of the sorcerers stood and now faced Motekusoma. He was old, but moved with the speed of a much younger man. Violence does not get you very far here in Teotihuacan, Emperor. This is the city of the gods? I thought it was a legend. No more than Aslan. Why do we idle here? You'd do well to tell your Emperor when you wish to detour. We are paying our respects for the journey ahead. Respect is of more use than that rock in your hand. Motekusoma was speechless. He was used to men staring at him with fear and awe. Whenever he deigned to raise his voice, others cowered before him. But the sorcerer gave no outward sign that he was intimidated. Motekusoma felt chastened, as if he was nothing more than a naughty boy. He looked down at the stone he still gripped and let it clatter to the ground. He felt his cheeks burn with shame as he tried to keep the petulance from his voice. I know all about respecting the gods. Have I not given Huitzilopochtli his share of sacrifice? It is the gods who do not respect me. The goddess runs away, leaving my people craving water. The sorcerer just stared at Motekusoma, unmoved by his words. Feeling foolish, Motekusoma strode out of the temple, leaving the sorcerers to their prayer. After they were finished, the sorcerers transformed themselves and Motekusoma into birds once again. They took to the sky and flew for ten straight days. As they flew, Motekusoma dreamed of being the first Mexica to set foot in Aztlan. He had always known he was special. Cities stood no chance against his warriors. Immense structures had been erected at his whim. Without him, the Mexica would be starving farmers. 
but he also remembered the shame he had felt when the sorcerer pointed out the rock in his hand. He had always answered with violence, but perhaps that was not how he was going to win this battle. The thought gave him pause. It had been a long time since he had felt discomfort, and after all the conquests and riches, he was finally learning what it was like to be stripped down to just himself. <sighs> His reflections were interrupted as the clouds gave way below to reveal a pristine lake surrounded by lush greenery. An immense mountain loomed in its center, pulsing with power as the sun reflected off the lake's surface. They had arrived at Aztlan. For a prosperous country in the midst of a drought, dreaming of a place like Aztlan would have felt like a welcome respite from the reality of their daily life. Even though no one alive knew what the place was like, its legend was a reminder of the former glory of their people. Motecuzoma's expedition to find Aztlan has real historical basis. When the Spanish conquerors arrived in 1519 CE to lay waste to the Mexica during the reign of Montezuma II, they found writings that referenced the King Motecuzoma I sending an expedition to search for their homeland. According to the colonial historian and missionary Fray Diego Duran, this expedition revived the legend of Aztlan for the Mexica people, yet his version differs slightly from the myth we've just told. Instead, he writes that when Motecuzoma found Kotlicu in Aztlan, she prophesied that the Aztec Empire would soon be conquered and ruined. This indeed would happen when Montezuma II took the throne in the 1500s. Though Motecuzoma was above his lowly subjects that were dying of thirst, he no doubt felt the noose tightening around his neck with each year that passed without water. His grand empire was slipping through his fingers, and no amount of conquering foreign lands would make water fall from the sky. He had put all his hopes on Aztlan, but what he did not consider was that he would still have to face the goddess that had beckoned him there. Thanks again for tuning in to Mythology. We'll be back Tuesday with part two of the story of Motekusoma. For more information on Motekusoma, amongst the many sources we used, we found Mesoamerican Mythology, a guide to the gods, heroes, rituals, and beliefs of Mexico and Central America by K. Almira Reed and Jason J. Gonzalez, extremely helpful to our research. You can find more episodes of Mythology and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Mythology, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Mythology on Spotify, just open the app and type Mythology in the search bar. If you enjoy Mythology, you'll love my other podcast, Tales. Tales presents fairy tales the way they were originally told, orally and unadulterated. Traditional fairy tales aren't exactly suitable for children, and every other Saturday we dive into another dark, classic tale. We'll be back next week with another epic story. 
Mythology is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, Isabella Way, and Joshua Kern. This episode of Mythology was written by Kate Murdoch, with writing assistance by Greg Castro. The amazing cast of voice actors include Tom Bauer, Bill Butts, Joe Hernandez, and Dan Velasquez. Mythology stars Vanessa Richardson.